Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-hosts Joanna Belson and Janice Hardoon. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill, Joanna, and Janice discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. This is Merrill Schindler here with High on the Hog, the podcast the show that educates, well, we're having a little fun too, in fact, a lot of fun, more fun than maybe we should be having, but it educates about CBD, THC, the wonderful world of cannabis and cannabinoid products and cannabinoids and all the things I can barely pronounce. And I've got uh, a pair of amazing guests. I've got Rachel Burkhans uh, of Tasting Paddle, etc. Um, I've got... Uh, Holden Jagger, chef par excellent, and you've started a concept called Altered Plates, which is what? Altered Plates is a cannabis hospitality event company. Um, we've spent the like last bar mitzvahs, things spent... like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, weddings, yeah. Bar we would take a bar no, mitzvah. We, we have done two like seders, two, two Passover seders. Yeah, we, we, we got oh, some. We got really? some Jewish journal press pretty early on, and that really, uh, <laughs> really solidified it. For, uh, Actually, didn't I see an article? Didn't we have an article the other day about kosher? Co- can, you said cannabis co- is kosher, kosher cannabis products. Kosher cure, which is a brand of brownies and stuff that we were making when we were able to manufacture them, and we actually had the, a lot of notoriety because of the neighborhood we're in here. And then the Orthodox Union called to say, "How fast can you scale it out?" Y'all can go talk to your officials at the city of Los Angeles once again to find us a manufacturing license. But that was, um, we had dealt with the Orthodox Union because a lot of religious people would like to ingest their cannabis. They don't want to vape and they can ingest on Shabbos. Yes. And also it would make sitting through an eight hour Seder so much easier. (laughs) They were, they were, I mean, they were really fun Seders, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. They really enjoyed that. This was not, um, somehow I get a feeling this was not the Chabad people or the the Hasidim. No, no, no. They were, they were, they were Israeli. They were, they were definitely faithful. Okay. And and it was, um, you know, it was. I'm, there's a whole show in this one. I mean, I think The cannabis culture in Israel is actually very sophisticated and it has been for a long time. Uh, They have a, they have very good attitudes about medical cannabis they have a very good attitudes about recreational cannabis moving forward i think they're really kind of waiting to take some cues from the united states government at the same time if you could believe that um but i think uh for some reason there seems to be a prevalence amongst heavy uh regular cannabis users and judaism i don't know what it is i don't know if it's you know a genetic marker from our (laughs) our past and all our uh you know religious rituals but uh, there are quite a few of Jews that I've grown up with here in Los Angeles that I would say are probably some of the more regular cannabis users that I know. From a family perspective, I can definitely vouch for that. Our family get-togethers are much more unique and fun because of our cannabis usage. From I, if if the if the if the flower is really good, don't you? like see god <laughs> aren't you talking to him you know, it's, well you know he's talking Ju- to you judaism is all about questioning mm. and learning and examining and i think maybe cannabis that? cannabis gives people the opportunity to be a little bit more introspective and and get into their heads about things and maybe go a little deeper so we can go with that as a spiritual connection now as i said in the last show for so many of us it was the hash brownie that was that was the food 
Um, at what point did you have the you know the 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 realization on the road to Damascus that my God, I could make other things with cannabis. So interestingly enough, I was um, I was one of those people that made brownies that turned you blue and put you into a tree or whatever, <laughs> whatever you said. I I find the, uh, the the more interesting thing about uh, the products I made in the cannabis space before or what I did with food in the cannabis space versus what I'm doing now is an edible or an infused product used to be something that I made incredibly strong for, for that purpose that I was giving it to people that were regular consumers of cannabis. And the edible used to be something that had the connotation that it has today because that was the intent. We Space want, cake. We wanted to mess people up. And it was how to take pot from an Now inoc- we've converted that edible into medicine. And yes. we will only have a 10 milligram serving size. Even though probably some of the people that could benefit the most from THC as a medicine, the very sick uh, cancer patients and things like that, would need a much, much higher dose than we have available. They in can the- have up to 1,000 milligrams if they don't separate the recreational and the medical but licenses. They, but but the, they they've are. all included it to one now. Yes. So, so you just have to eat more calories. You have to, you have to ingest <laughs> a lot more calories or take a lot and more pills. And spend more money. And spend more money. Um, which is which is something that I think um, is a major loss uh, as far as us leaving 215 and as, as, as we move towards recreational. So the the interest, the intent, I was a cannabis cultivator in San Francisco. I paid my bills when I was a ten dollar an hour cook in in grow rooms and in, in hash factories and I would do things that paid me, you know, what I would make in a week and a few hours, and, and I was able to exist in that very, very expensive city. Now, that's a cultivator. What's a gangier? Um, so, a gangier we are styling as a expert in cannabis as, uh, as it pertains to flavor. And one of the more interesting things about how cannabis and uh, the flavor of cannabis interact is that the effect of the cannabinoids uh, in relationship to the chemicals that are responsible for their taste, flavor, aroma are terpenes. That relationship, the correlation between the ratio between those two sets of, uh, of active chemicals in your, in your brain and body are what are responsible for how and why pot gets you stoned the way it does. Okay. Terpenes is a term, another term that's tossed around so much among those in the industry. And for those outside the industry, it's like, it's a it's a much more surprising thing. Is that stuff used to clean paint or brushes? Could be sixty percent of all organic matter is actually classified as a that's turpentine. I thought you were talking about pinene, which is in pine soil, and alpha pinene is is. So think of terpenes as a class of ever and constantly evaporating molecules, which are in an extremely high prevalence in anything and everything all around you as long as it has an organic source. So things well, from metal to dirt to the paint, any anything in the entire organic world has and is in comprised of terpenes. So but most interestingly in food. I, I oh, mean yes. every every single bar and restaurant 
in the world is cooking with is terpenes. cooking with terpenes Using and they don't terpenes, even know pouring it. terpenes so terpenes are in lemons they're in rosemary they're in mangoes they're in mushrooms they're in all they're in various degrees and various percentages and ratios in a variety of herbs anything that's going to kind of give you that resinous oily feeling when you touch it with your hands if you go and rub a rosemary plant and you're going to smell that on your fingers afterward that's the terpenes so that's that's something that is already so ingrained in our culinary cultural lexicon and being able to connect that with cannabis is really what a ganjier does think of it like a sommelier Think of it as somebody who's going to be pairing something with a food or with an experience to create an immersive dining and cultural opportunity. So that's what we focus on at Altered Plates. And that's actually because Holden is a cultivator and is, um, you know, constantly growing and has access to the plant in all of these various stages, we can play with terpenes in a variety of ways. And Holden will sometimes pair a specific variety with a dish and tell you, okay, first you're going to taste the cannabis and we'll walk people through a little three-step tasting method that we've developed in order to do that and then you'll take a bite of the food or sometimes he'll say take a bite of the food and then taste the cannabis so it really is about understanding the flavors on the palate and how they compare and contrast well but it sounds like terpene is just something that's everywhere they are they're in everything Okay. But but that's that's the thing. People um, don't know that, and yeah. people are, are very surprised. So yes, terpenes are the aromatic molecules that are responsible for the flavor and effect. That is something entirely separate that we definitely should discuss because the effect that you're going to get from a specific variety is not just about its THC percentage or its CBD percentage or the ratio between. The terpenes are what are really going to give you that effect, and essentially that's aromatherapy. But we also have to deal with the flavor because we had a cultivator on a few weeks ago on High in the Hog, the podcast, um, who spoke about how, um, you know, just straight CBD, a bucket full of CBD, it tastes just awful. Just awful. You couldn't, you couldn't eat it. So you've got you've to transform it into something that's actually palatable. So you can't just have a jar of CBD and you pour a little bit in your soup or something. I mean, you've got to make this a usable ingredient uh, I mean, do, do you do you, do you look at a THC, CBD, et cetera, at, at cannabis products when cooking as a spice, an herb, uh, something like salt, something like pepper? I know you have you have can of salt. You have something that even even connects with. Um, I think you start first with the terpenes as to what effect it is. So, say you have stomach ailments, you're going to naturally be drawn to, or someone's going to educate you to tell you that a tangerine or something like that is going to help that. Um, then you have something that's limonene, limonene, thank you, and something like that's going to help your muscle tension in the back of your neck and like headaches. And those specific terpenes come from specific strains. And whether they're grown outdoor or indoor, you're still going to have those those uh, profiles. But how did you start using it? I mean, did you start putting it in spaghetti so, sauce, you so know, like, like oregano? Say, uh, for an infusion purpose, uh, what you're after is obviously the cannabinoids. And then, like you just said, cannabinoids are not very tasty. So uh, in infusion, a lot of those terpenes, they're, they're going to either be changed through the process. They're not going to be what they were. But when you do combust them and when you smoke them, you are able to create sort of a standardized 
idealized effect of what that variety is. So if, if have you ever seen a, an analysis of, of a chemical breakdown of, of a terpene? That's, that's prevalent. Like if you, if you have a tested product in, in a recreational dispensary today, it should have, ideally, it should have the cannabinoids, pe pesticides, all those things that they test for. And in addition to it can also represent the terpenes. And with that, you'll see this long list of all these chemicals with, with, deltas and, and, and alphas and all these all these symbols that you wouldn't po possibly understand if you weren't schooled in it. Um, but if you were to look at rosemary and do that exact same chemical analysis, you will see that same list, this multifaceted full spectrum of all of these phytochemicals or plant-based uh, chemicals. So these chemicals are essentially the map to why the cannabis tastes smells and later when ingested with cannabinoids affects you the way it does on their own terpenes can have a you know why why do we put lavender in a room when we're trying to fall asleep like these are these touchstones that we have out of aromatherapy that rachel um, mentioned the, the one of the most interesting things i would say is when i started looking at this a few years ago it all the evidence i could find was said it basically ended with but that's aromatherapy and it's a pseudoscience. Literally, like good, <laughs> hard scientific, scientific evidence. This, the, the interest in terpenes as they relate to cannabis has, 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 has made central a few things. One of those things is how food makes us feel, which I think as a chef is one of the most interesting conversations that has started. Now that we're starting to know what's responsible for why food tastes the way it does and why those chemicals are there, we are going to eventually find out why you crave a certain meal when you do. I feel like the question, what do you feel like eating, has been made very, very like important to me as a chef that's that's dealing with experience. I'm, I'm not just feeding my guests, I'm leading them down a path. And like I'm able to transition the flavor from each dish and using these these guides of, of terpenes as a flavor touchstone, I'm also able to manipulate the guests' experience of, of what they're going through and how they are experiencing this 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 menu I put forward. Each dish has thought behind it. And, you know, to think that I could direct table conversation on top of that, I think that that's, you know, it's pretty beautiful. Obviously in wine, you're gonna you've been to many tastings. You you've been you've been guided through that process and what it does, but nobody ends it with like, okay, so that Merlot should get you feeling this way. And now mm. I'm gonna lead you into this and and it that conversation adds a layer to experiential hospitality which doesn't exist right now and and in my pursuit of doing these events i have i have found a way to do more than just guide them through what it tastes like so we, have to, we have to go back where did this begin um so i was the pastry chef at soho house in west hollywood right. and um i think like any good cook or chef I'd reached that point in my 12 to 14 years on, on a kitchen where I just needed a break either way. I got two kids and it was a great way for me to step back and reassess. And I mean, it sort of just started happening and it sort of, it seemed like it was what I was meant to do because while I was a sous chef, while I was working these crazy hours, I would go home and I would spend, you know, four hours wandering around my hillside with a headlamp, like, Pick, picking around with my plants and it was my time to be in my garden i i got really into companion planting and i i mean i i'm a chef that finds my hands in the soil just as important as my hands 
you know, on on a, on a stainless steel pass or with with knives and, and spoons. Or was it her first dish? You know, the, I would the, say I would say honestly the the true inspiration, which I don't recommend anyone does, but <laughs> when I was a um, when I was a sous chef and I worked at Kraft, um, and we had probably just just like you would you would go in during plum season there'd be like 15 types of plums and in a rush i'd need to be able to identify all of those types of plums and and the availability of all these amazing products that i would get from the farmer's market and like this plum that i'd never seen this 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 pear i'd never had and i would go and i would take a piece of fruit home with me uh in the car and i would i would smoke a joint and i started to notice that in my drive home dredging you know the 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 45 minutes it took to cross the 405 from century <laughs> city to to get to the west side it just i started to see like okay well i have really flavorful pot now and i have these really amazing touchstones and i was starting to discover my own palate and it these were lines that just started to click for me so these were thoughts that i definitely had been entertaining for a long time and then when i was at soho and before i decided to to take the leap I saw people doing it. People like Jeff, the 420 chef and, and some of the other people that are, are in Los Angeles now that are, that are my contemporaries. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, they're heroes, but I literally saw them as somebody that was doing something that was taking a chance, representing something that I am and was passionate about, which is cannabis. And, and there's been plenty of restaurants where I worked at, where there was a culture of alcohol use and there was a culture of, of, you know, lusciousness and, and, and excess. But I would always hold back on cannabis use and, and talking about that as my preferred inebriant or my preferred way to relax because I feel I, there's a stigma attached to it. Even in even in a, in a culture of restaurants, you know, some of the places that you worked at, a gin in the middle of, of service is far more acceptable than a joint, you know, and it's just... It's, well, I mean, how, we've all been to sushi bars where it's like, um, let, me, let me buy a beer for the yeah, chef. Absolutely. You know, how many do they go through in the course of an evening? Uh, believe me, I know. Like, I've seen With them. those sharp <laughs> knives. It's And, and you know, I, I find that what 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 is most interesting about it is that, that cannabis puts you in a, in a place with food that you, alcohol just does not. And I can see, I've seen this firsthand from my guests and from the experience and how in tune they are. And I've been like, I've been to plenty of wine tastings where by the third or fourth glass, yeah. let alone plate, I'm six, seven sheets to the wind. And I am like fully not engaged in the food. I'm there for the experience and the feeling and all that. When I do these cannabis dishes, I mean, with these, these cannabis tastings and, and it is really experiential driven, the, the table goes dead silent when yeah. the food drops. They are there for that dish. They are there to experience that flavor, that taste, and the and and participate in my mind and participate in, you know, what has been born of something that, you know, we're writing the playbook for this. We are yeah. literally creating a style of hospitality that does not exist. And for for somebody that felt like they did it all in cooking, worked for great restaurants, got awards, got accolades, and did it really, really quickly, I was successful. And this is just another new opportunity, and it's something that's not going to—it's not boring me because every day is different in it. Rachel, have you gotten to taste everything? Um, well, are you, are I'm, you the, the? I'm I'm usually too busy running around um, working with Holden and and trying to keep things moving. Um, but I I have witnessed this firsthand with a lot of our guests when we do the pairings, as opposed to perhaps an infused dinner. You know, infused dinners are great, but you do lose the nuance between specific varieties, and you kind of just 
go for it and you're enjoying a molecule is a molecule a molecule is a molecule is a molecule but when you're doing a pairing dinner um you know it really does take on that that wine tasting and wine pairing concept um and the other really good thing about that is that because when you are smoking cannabis um it has a shorter duration and it has a quicker onset you can really be a lot more in control of that situation and how much you want to consume and how you want to feel so um we've even done dinners where there have been pregnant guests who have not consumed but they have gone through the first two steps in our three-step tasting method so that they can understand the flavor and the nuance and then when they taste the dish they get the pairing they don't have to smoke it to get that pairing because it's pairing uh, do we mean a token of a taste we mean mean that you would be dropped a dish and alongside it would come a joint and um, you would walk people through a tasting of that what we typically do is serve our joints in a corked glass tube Um, so the first step in the tasting method is to pull the cork off and nose the tube which gives you those bright terpenes it's a really really good way to get a sense for what that specific cannabis flower tastes like Um, the second step is to take it out and do a dry pull meaning before you light it you put the joint in your mouth and you just suck and you inhale and the air that flows through that joint and into your mouth and gets onto your palate will give you again that terpene expression but this time on the palate And then the third step is to take that first light and then, of course, go and enjoy the meal. And, um, you know, some people don't like to smoke while they eat. So sometimes maybe they'll just do, you know, one or two puffs, put it out, go and enjoy their their meal and then go back to it or put it back in that glass tube and take it home for later. And to decide what works with what, what is the process? Well, this is something that Holden and I collaborate pretty closely on, actually. Um, it, it's it's a lot of tasting, honestly. And it's a tough job, Meryl. It's a really tough but someone's job. someone's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. So, yeah, we do, um, we do taste together pretty frequently. And when Holden writes his menus, um, if we're working with a brand partner or something, we'll sit and taste through the flower and the varieties they'd like to feature. And um, we'll start brainstorming and just kind of put our thinking hats on. And some of, I mean, sometimes it is just so obvious. Sometimes you'll taste something and it has this bright, pure, literal, like tangerine juice slappy on the face. And you're like, oh my God, this is so citrusly, citrusy and delicious. What can I pair this with? What can I balance those flavors with? Some um, varieties are really umami driven and are going to really take you into that really savory, deep space. So, um, it's it's about understanding um, the the levers of comparing and contrasting brightness and acidity. Those things all translate from the dish to the flower. There's a degree of subtlety here that may not be for everyone, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, this is this is. Um, I mean, some folks, it's just uh, you know, there's a ba- basically a caveman attitude towards food. It's like, mmm, right. good, salty, mmm, spicy. <laughs> Yum. Ooh, sweet. Nice. That's it. That's pretty much it. But for the people who want to sit down and ask their sommelier 10, 15 questions and ask for really detailed pairing suggestions and for the foodies who want to go out to every amazing restaurant in the country or in the city, you know, there is an audience for that. And and tapping into that new high-end consumer, no pun intended, Mm. um, but, you know, tapping into that and giving them the tools to have, as Holden was saying, a really 
rounded experience, something that isn't just about a meal. It's about how you feel at various stages throughout the meal. And it's about how you end up going from one place to another without ever leaving your seat. So have there been notable successes and notable failures? You know, dishes that, you know, just, oh, that was a mistake. I would say sometimes I have a dish in mind that maybe gets in the way of the appropriate pairing. Uh, Sometimes it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic because sometimes I I definitely try to reverse engineer because I have dishes I want to make. Like any chef would, I I draw inspiration and I, you know, I can't kind of get it out of my head until I put it out and either meet success or fail. But nothing truly stands out. But I definitely get the opportunity to revisit some dishes and, and find pairings that work better for them, depending on maybe some of the brands that we're working with, especially in the last few years. Because, you know, I mean, if if, if, if you're a brand and you're trying to showcase uh, your flower, um, you might not necessarily have as much variety as you necessarily think. You know, like you're growing varieties that are appealing be- to somebody that's going to buy them, right? I mean, it's it's a commercial business at the same time. Whereas somebody uh, in my shoes, I'm I'm looking for something that's unique in every way, shape, or form. I want it to be something that you can't find necessarily in a commercial setting always. That's not necessarily, you know, like there's there's a lot of buzzwords that I could use, but they, they, they're really meaningless because they're just names that we've associated with it. So you would find like certain chemotypes that people would be really excited about. And that, that word is something that you'll hear Rachel and I use a lot because that's sort of our way of talking about where all of these things meet, where the where the terpenes meet and with all the different levels of CBD or, or THC. But as far as like a specific dish that I keep revisiting, I would say it's my, uh, my what is it, the number the, 23? Oh, gosh. Oh, yes. the celery act dish I really yeah, like he a likes lot. Celery. I like celery act. <laughs> I like uh, celery root a lot. It's um, It has a lot of uh, complexity as Celery is very popular right now with the celery juicing. Um, So I recently uh, did a little research, and celery is actually for something that we consider very bland. It's incredibly high in limonene, uh, so much so that uh, when uh, certain people grow it and uh, the leaves are actually uh, a higher concentration of it, that they can't handle the plant and have a a skin reaction to it because limonene is actually caustic in um, in certain concentrations. So... uh, you know, you'll see you'll see a lot of people using terpenes as uh, tools to to say negative things about. You know, we have the uh, the famous Lacroix um, lawsuit, <laughs> lawsuit that's come up, and you know, I, I it was it was really amazing. It was like the one time my cannabis knowledge like was like, oh my god, this is bullshit. He's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, to to fill everybody in, um, there was a lawsuit brought against LaCroix, everybody's favorite sparkling beverage, and the the uh, language used in the lawsuit was, ingredient found in cockroach insecticide is present in LaCroix. It's linalool, which is a terpene, which is basically lavender. It's in like everything. It's in lemon peel. I mean, <laughs> that's like what I was saying. All of these terpenes that, we, that we're pinpointing, that we're talking about in this like precise way, they're all in food, but they're also variant. You know, a, a, a plant 
produces terpenes uh, for various reasons. Well, the main reason that it does is as part of its own autoimmune defense system. It's a pesticide, really. It's, for a, the, it's for its the own plant. natural it producing pesticide. Away, which is why it's also in the cockroach. Pine, sap, pine sap's really sticky. Bugs don't like getting stuck in it, and they also can't breathe because they you breathe. You like your skin. flower really sticky. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, pine sap is actually like one of the few things that you can be like, that's pretty much 100% percent also tinyin. keeps away the bugs in the rooms. It does. You know, so like as, as someone who, you know, has has been in an altered state every now and then um you know there, there is that 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 moment of wait a minute i, I can't i mean i'm eating a, a little chicken i can't do that Aww. i mean have you you know are there things you have to avoid like rabbit for instance where um in an altered state it's like bunny i'm eating, <laughs> I'm eating bunny i can't eat bunny you know you don't veal oh no it's not i can't eat you know do you, do you run into that sort of like um uh, dancing on the abyss type reaction well we do um we do private dinners you know yeah. so i i i tailor make any experience the guest wants so if they don't want rabbit if they don't want no but you know people people they may not know I've they never, don't want it until they, they do a little smoking until they have the that realization of Oh, wow. I'm sure with enough inebriation, <laughs> sweetbreads is delicious. Yeah. yeah. I ordered no sweetbreads once and I didn't know what it was and then it showed up and I ate and it anyways. Ate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've experienced anyone having like um, you know, like a conscious meltdown because of what they're eating per se, but um, you know, it it does make people heightened in different ways and thinkings of what they're experiencing and how they're going through it and you know I, I would say that in our couple of years of doing this um, we have found especially here in Los Angeles that if we don't have at least four or five vegan menus uh, items on any on every menu we're SOL because people want that here and maybe that is related to a, a higher level of consciousness that comes from knowing that we are all connected. Well back in the day those who were tokers you know ate an awful lot of lentil casserole and um and brown rice yeah it was that, just, that's you know brown true. rice with uh with zucchini it was just it was righteous it was wholesome but on the same token holden as uh, we were just talking about a farm up in oregon that is feeding its pigs cannabis uh plants and once happy they, they are yeah once they price take- per pound is pretty low in oregon <laughs> right now i will say that i mean they 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 just gave the uh, cultivation licenses to whoever wanted it, and uh, it drove the prices down so low that they're feeding it to pigs. High on the hog. There you <laughs> go. Name. High on the hog. There it is. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce okay. you guys. Now, now you know, <laughs> in your bio, you also mentioned some dishes that um, do not involve um, a, a, a smoky flour and then taste of the dish. You've got, um, I mentioned here, of, of a cannabis pollen top seared scallop sure. and fermented cannabis leave dalmas so the 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 cannabis in that form is it active at all or is it really just just a a colorful ingredient depends on how i treat the plant depends on what part of the plant i'm working with but cannabis um like we we actually like to celebrate it we we did a lot of these early on where we do a whole cannabis as a vegetable course and Mm -hmm. because i've been cultivating for so long i have looked at the plant a little bit differently i i i start seeds um, cannabis uh, should, you know, it's it's very. We are extremely fortunate. I will say this: that there are two cannabis sexes. Very, very, very fortunate because otherwise, all the flowers would have seeds in them. If the male was 
attached to the female plant in the way that you see in uh, hermaphroditic cannabis plants, we would have nothing but fully seeded plants. So really, oh, good. the love life. So of just cannabis. as just as much <laughs> as we sexy. just as much as we celebrate the femininity of the cannabis plant, I think everyone should really take a moment to. Thank, be incredibly thankful that the male exists in the form that it does separate from the female. And Holden is able to be really creative with that because he does have access to the plant in various stages of its life cycle. So yeah, he's done a lot with, you know, uh, the pollen, the dehydrated cannabis leaves, um, Fermenting pickled the cannabis male leaf. plant. Oh my gosh, that's one of my favorites. So Which one? Pickled male plant. Okay. So I take the, the male has a flower. Uh, it's a little bit different in structure and uh, its purpose, obviously, but uh, you know, males can have a percentage of THC as well. Some even some of the flowers can be in concentrations of eight to ten percent. Um, and for breeding purposes, you would want to select males that were more resinous or presented certain uh, flavor or physical characteristics that you would want to pass on to its uh, offspring. So, in doing that, uh, creating my own seeds, I was looking at, at males, and I was you know from from a perspective of, of a chef, I started to just eat the the sexual organ before it fully opened and released its pollen and i found that it had a nice little crunch and a pop and um you know even there was a because of there there are actual uh trichomes which are the uh resin glands that produce um cannabinoids and terpenes in the cannabis plant um they are also on on male plants too so Essentially, there is flavor hidden in there in the same way that there is in the female. But you don't have to smoke it necessarily. You can sort of get a nice little taste of it uh, when you pop these little things in your mouth. And they reminded me sort of like, what are those? So the sea beans and, yeah. you know, they have a string of pearl sort of, uh, sort of consistency to them. Um, they have a nice texture. And as far as um, the toughness, um, because eating cannabis on its own, I mean, you know, hemp is celebrated for its uh, durability. The male plant is actually a little bit softer and easier um, uh, to, to, to break down. It sounds like 50 shades of pot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll do things. I'll do things like pick those. Uh, I'll salt cure them. I'll, I'll ferment them. I'll, I'll, I'll imply a lot of uh, culinary techniques to something that hasn't had it applied to. Which you will find at Altered Plates. How do people get in contact with you? They can find us on Instagram at Altered Plates or they can visit our website, www.alteredplatesevents.com. And they can also find you on Instagram. I like Instagram. They can find me on Instagram at Smoke Sip Saver and Holden at Chef Holden Jagger. And that's amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Are, Thank you very much. We haven't had anyone like you. Probably will never have anyone like you. Well, we'll come back we'll and come talk back. your ear off more. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to book a private dinner oh, with good. this group after that. Good, good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's Meryl Schindler. It's Janice Hardoon. It's... Uh, Phil Giangrande at the, um, at the at the board here. It's Joanna Belson. Thank you all. It's Meryl Schindler. It's High on the Hog, the podcast. I'll catch you at the next one. <laughs>